welcome to the Shoulder Physio Podcast, a podcast dedicated to exploring meaningful topics in musculoskeletal healthcare. I'm your host, Jared Powell. Before we begin, the primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The views expressed in this podcast by myself and any guests are information only, do not constitute professional advice and are general in nature. If you act on the basis of any podcast episode, you should obtain specific advice from a qualified health professional before proceeding. Today's guest is Professor Steve Camper. Steve is a professor of allied health at the School of Health Sciences and Nepean Blue Mountains Local Health District. Steve is also a prolific researcher and senior editor at the Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy. I've got Steve on the show today to talk about the placebo effect. Is it powerful, powerless, redundant, or indeed ethical? Are we able to set up a placebo exercise group in physiotherapy trials? Tune in to hear Steve's clear and lucid thoughts on all of these questions and more, and some occasional ranting from yours truly. Before we start the podcast, a quick note from our sponsor, Clinico. Clinico is a practice management software that's used by 65,000 practitioners worldwide. It's great for busy physios, which is why it's an endorsed partner of the Australian Physiotherapy Association and the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy in the UK. You'll find everything you need to run a successful physio practice in one place, like treatment notes, digital forms, online booking tools, customizable body charts, and much more. Clinico meets privacy legislation for Australia, the UK, the US, and Canada. So wherever you're based, Clinico will help keep you compliant. Charitable donations and giving back are a big part of Clinico. A minimum of 2% of all Clinico subscriptions are donated to charity each month, which means more than 1 million Australian dollars in total has been donated since Clinico was founded. Shoulder Physio podcast listeners can get 60 days for free. Signing up takes less time than this message. Visit clinico.com forward slash shoulder hyphen physio. Without any further delay, I bring to you my conversation with Professor Steve Camper. Professor Stephen Camper, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, mate. So we've been trying to make this conversation happen for a while. We're going to talk about the placebo effect and all the machinations surrounding that term because it can be a bit of a murky area. Before we get into this very interesting topic that you've published on, Steve, you're a returning guest to the show. um, We know you as the kind of research genius, the man behind the research and practice series, which which always go pretty viral when they're published in JOSPT. So thanks for that. They're super helpful. But who are you? Who's Steve Camper? What do you like to do? What are you into, mate? What am I into? Well, that's a, uh, what have we got? So who am I? I trained as a physio, but actually before that trained as an environmental scientist. So I had a career for a little while doing environmental stuff, then trained as a physio, worked clinically briefly, got kind of seduced, I guess, by research. And I think over time, what I've realized is what I'm interested in is the power of the scientific method broadly to answer questions and provide useful information. And what I'm interested in doing is making sure that the people who need uh, or can make use of that power have the tools in their hands. So that's whether that stuff that's published uh, information, so making that trying to make that a little bit more accessible, but also the methods as well. Uh, so I, I, I yeah, I talk about the tools of science. Um, so, so understanding how to generate information which is less likely to be biased 
and also the outputs of science. So how do we use what's been published by other people? And that's what I enjoy doing and that's what I what I like. And, you know, I think having thought about that as, as my interest, you know, I ended up my sort of line of research has mostly been in pain, but I think if I'd come from a different place, I'd still be in research and, you know, maybe I'd be an obesity researcher or maybe I'd be a... Um, a researcher in chemistry or whatever else, because I think it's the process which is which I enjoy and which I I'm, I'm most interested in, and and so I'm interested in these ideas, which are a placebo being one of them, which to me is just about understanding and sort of explicating the process a little bit better. Yeah, I'm going to bring up a quote from your paper, which just has just come to mind, and it kind of speaks to your what you were saying just then. So the idea of a magical black box from which unexplained therapeutic effects spring up is archaic and also unhelpful from a scientific point of view. So pulling no punches there. And I guess that kind of speaks to your personality, perhaps, where you are interested in a question and you want to try and find out a potential solution to that and get away from murky or or gray area. Would that be correct? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And and I think that's that sort of, I guess, uh, reflection of where I've come to and, 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 and sort of more or less stayed in this with regard to placebo, that sort of it reflects where I'm at on my journey of trying to understand this. I guess I probably started out thinking about placebo as a thing, not too different to another treatment, for example, but I guess the more I thought about it and, 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 and got into it, it never made sense to me to think about it that way, uh, and 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 so I guess that 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 quote there just it sort of maybe reflects that a little bit. Yeah, no, I like it because it's it's not just a with the placebo effect and something that annoys me is that everything that and we'll get into this more more formally in a minute is that everything that doesn't work by its supposed biomechanical or physiological effect is just lumped into this this magical placebo effect and and what even is that and this is why. I found your paper so appealing is because you actually attempted to unpack what this placebo effect is and and really define it. And we'll talk about language in a minute as well. But before we get into this, Steve, who are you as a person, mate? Outside of research, what do you like to do for fun? I've always been an, an active person. I like sport. I've played soccer slash football, depending on where you are in the world, all my life. So I and continue to do that when I'm not injured. Um, do you support uh, a team, mate? Have you got a Have you got a Premier League uh, team or anything? I've got a Premier League team. I, I support Spurs, so I'm super excited. Oh, Steve, so, mate, I'm a Gunners so did, fan, and this is, this is heresy. But but Ange is a great you signing for you. Want to continue? Or... <laughs> I will. My brother's a Spurs <laughs> fan, and obviously I've had it over him for about 20 years, so it's all good, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm super excited that Angie's taking over over there. Yeah. So that that's great. Yeah, so like sport, um, I come from a relatively big family. I have four brothers, uh, and I have a recently started out on a journey of fatherhood. So I have a seven-month-old baby, Micah, who has changed my world and the way that I look at the world, and 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 so that that's been a wonderful new part of my journey, I guess. Congratulations! Nothing better. Uh, Thank you. The data to myself, and it is. It's, it's it's a magical thing. So yeah, shout out to you and your and your and your partner for getting it done. Congratulations! I just want to go back to uh, football, soccer for a minute. Matildas, yeah. Steve, you are you following the Matildas closely? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that that's been yeah, amazing and and amazing being having someone who's sort of been involved 
playing and, and, and watching football over a long period of time. It's, yeah, wonderful to see the sort of explosion in, in, in women's football, not just in terms of participation, but also the quality of it in the last two decades is it, it's just amazing how different the game is over that relatively short period of time. And it's, yeah, the, the quality of football on the World Cup is just it's such a it's such a wonderful advertisement for the game and, and obviously all the interest that's, that's going on in Australia and New Zealand at the moment is it's just fantastic. And so, yeah, I'll be watching tonight and can't wait. Yeah, yeah. So for those unacquainted, there is the Soccer World Cup going on in Australia right now. At the time of recording, Australia and New Zealand at the time of recording, it is semi-final day so the Matildas taking on England tonight which is a cracker the old enemy England yeah. and the Ashes in cricket finished at 2-2 so we re-retain the Ashes so let's hope we can get another one over England tonight I'm sure you'll be going for the Matildas Steve absolutely easy all right so so that's you I love it yes. that's you that's your research now the placebo effect so We've alluded to it a couple of times already, or I have. You wrote a paper in the BJSM editorial called The Placebo Effect, Powerful, Powerless, or Redundant. A beautiful uh, title there designed to capture attention. I love it, Steve. So this paper was a real eye-opener for me when I read it. I, I think I read it quite early when it came out, forgot about it as you do, and then I came back to it a number of years later. And it kind of, it really spoke to me in how clearly you wrote and how we should actually try to understand this thing called placebo from a perhaps a mechanistic perspective rather than just lumping everything in, contextual effects, all these kind of things into a placebo effect. So before we get into whether it is powerful, powerless or redundant, what is a placebo effect? Can we define this thing? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I'm kind of excited to talk about this. This is... A, it's literally one of the my favourite papers that I've I've written, and I'm acutely aware that it's a view that's not universally held. The one that I have about this, um, which is fine, and but it's yeah, so it's it's nice to have an opportunity to talk about. It. I will say though, it's not an area that I've had my head in for a long time. Um, so we published this paper in 2013, I think, and yeah, I've, I've in terms of the where of my energy has been i haven't really stayed in touch with the placebo literature so I, I guess i want to make that caveat up front so um but i think the basic views that i have haven't really changed i think based on what i've seen in, in the interim so uh, definition so so i think there's a there's a there's a real problem at the heart of the definition and it it, it sort of i think it speaks to the fact that there has been problems ongoing problems in, in people coming to a, a, a consensus about what the definition of placebo is. So we have a placebo effect so that an effect means something, uh, there's something has influenced an outcome. Then the placebo definition by just about anyone's terms includes something, includes the word inert or some variation thereof. So so we've we've got the, the placebo, which, which is something inert, which means doesn't have an effect and then we have a placebo and effect which is an effect and and so i think there's this paradox no, i don't know paradox it's a um what's the word it's a it doesn't made up it, it, it by by a you know in a logical sort of way how do you have an effect if you've got something which by definition doesn't have an effect so to me the concept itself sits on this really unstable foundation so yeah, you wrote, Steve, 
the the paradox of an effect without a mechanism. Yeah, and that that's odd, isn't it? When you actually think about it and deconstruct well, it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't fit with I guess well the way that I view the world anyway. Um, yeah. And 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 so I can't make that work in my head. Yeah. Um, and then so I I, I yeah leave others to, to have hold whatever definition is they like. Um, but but for me, I've never seen that paradox resolved in any way, which helps me understand the a placebo as a as a coherent concept. Okay, so let's can we go? Can we do a little tour back into history here, and and maybe perhaps look at where placebo has come from and. And mm. has the tide turned? Was it used to be viewed as powerful and now it's powerless? Mm. Or where are we at? Is it just used in medical trials these days? Like where are we at with placebos and like in terms of where we've come from history and where we are today? Yeah, so I mean, the, the, from what I understand, there's a historical definition around um, there were people who were um, essentially paid mourners, so rich people who weren't very popular when they died. Their family had people paid people to come to their funeral. Um, and pretend that people like them, and they, as I understand, this was this was they they had some name, um, the placebo, which was related to to the word. So placebo, as I understand it, the word itself means to please. Moving forward, it, there was in medical history, sort of over the last two three hundred years, something like that. Um, there was recognition in some fields that actually whatever treatment they were providing wasn't doesn't really do anything but keeping the patient happy while they either got better or died was a good idea and so it was sort of attached to that sort of idea then as scientific methods started to sort of coalesce around um, or, or sort of structure themselves a little bit better probably in the middle part of the last century the idea came that placebos could be used in scientific research to try and uncover specific effects and it's a whole having a discussion around what specific and non-specific means i don't i know that's been used as well but i don't think it overcomes the fundamental problems but essentially so so placebo the placebo controlled trial the sort of origins of that are in the middle part of the last century the idea also from there was that doing these things which were basically keeping people happy had an effect on health and and that sort of came out of that time period, and that that sort of grew it. There was a, a yeah, and the name of the, the title of my article, Chris, and and my article sort of came from a, a study which was published in 1955, I think, called the Powerful Placebo. And by scientific standards, the methods were awful, but it concluded that there was this huge effect or a very important effect. Fast forward about 50 years or so to around the turn of the century and a meta-analysis, a very influential meta-analysis was done uh, looking at this uh, with much more rigour and found that maybe the effects were not so um, not so great. And and so that paper was called the Powerless Placebo. Um, and so that, yeah, the, the title of, of, of that paper sort of plays on, those, on that history. So, yeah, is that, is that answer yeah, the question? Yeah, good. And then so placebo still exists today in various professions doesn't it in terms of perhaps homeopathy and without without trying to denigrate any jobs or professions out there the placebo is still rife and has a underpins many of our treatments in physiotherapy as well so it is 
it's kind of omnipresent. It is everywhere on everything that we do. There's a really good paper by Marco Testa and Giacomo Rossettini uh, titled Enhance Placebo, Avoid Nocebo. And the, and the premise of the paper is, is basically that within physiotherapy and a lot of healthcare professions, every healthcare profession, there is this contextual effect and contextual factor that underpins and that is sort of the foundation of a lot of our treatments. You can't get away from it. You, you literally cannot get away from the clinical ceremony. And so that paper was fascinating in that it kind of outlined a thesis that we should enhance these placebo and contextual effects and then avoid these nocebo effects. And I want to ask you, Steve, is that kind of what physiotherapy treatment boils down to? There's a lot of conversation these days about exactly what the active ingredient of a lot of our treatments are, especially exercise at the moment. We know these classical biomechanical or physiological effects of exercise haven't been borne out in causal mechanism research and in mediation analyses, and that perhaps it might be the psychologically mediated effects that are important. What do you think, mate? Should we just be enhancing placebo effects and avoiding nocebo effects, or is there something of more substance underpinning our treatments? All right, there's a fair bit in that question, and and I think where I'd like to start is I think what it demonstrates is the fact that talking or thinking about placebo in this context doesn't help us so 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 again there's this we get drawn back into this idea and, and you know you mentioned yourself a lot of we can't get away from the placebo effects and and, and and there's nocebo effects which you know same thing in in, in a with it, an effect on outcome which we think is negative i think the fundamental problem here is thinking that placebo is a thing at all so if if we don't talk about placebo at all, let's run an experiment and 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 not mention it for, for the purposes of what we're talking about here for a second. So we don't talk about it. And you, and you mentioned um, the psychological um, mechanisms, and you me- mentioned the treatment ceremony and all those sorts of things. For me, thinking about what the influence of of those are on outcome is the way to understand this, and and bringing placebo into the conversation doesn't help us. So if we think that providing a safe and calming environment reduces people's anxiety and having people with reduced anxiety means they'll have a better outcome by something, great. Let's understand how that works. Let's, by all means, you know, create environments and create treatments and whatever else that reduce anxiety. Let's measure all that. Let's let's investigate it. Let's optimize it. Let's do all that sort of stuff. We've done ourselves a favor by not mentioning placebo. If it's about you know, if we're talking about exercise and we're saying, okay, the, actually, the the best, uh, hypothetically, okay, the, the 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 most powerful influence on outcome from exercise comes through social interactions and that's because people feel empowered or they feel supported and they feel safe and and you know that these are all psychological concepts say let's understand the effects of exercise via that mechanism again as soon as we bring placebo into that conversation we just make it harder we 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 we, we, we've just introduced you know we call it that magical black box and and it's it's not only, in my opinion, it, it, it's not only makes things harder, but it, it so it's not only uh, makes no sense, but it it holds us back. 
um, because it offers this out. And placebo research such as it is, oftentimes when people start talking about mechanisms of placebo, they, they talk about expectations, they talk about classical conditioning, they talk about anxiety and so on. Why not just investigate those things? We've got it, the psychological concepts. We've got some physiological concepts. Let's just invest our time in understanding how those things influence outcome and, and how we influence those things if they're important mediators. Yeah, I agree. I concur entirely. So this placebo is a throwaway term that's you know, rooted in history, that's perhaps redundant now, getting to the, the last word of your paper, and that instead of just using this throwaway term, we should actually disentangle or deconstruct the mechanisms underpinning these placebo effects. And I think that's that's a really lucid thing to do to enable progress, and it makes a lot of sense. Following on from that, there's a lot of talk on social media that whenever a specific intervention doesn't outperform a placebo, then everybody just thinks, well, because this treatment doesn't outperform a placebo, then this treatment is a placebo. And it, it sort of gets on my nerves because it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I kind of know the answer to this question that, that you're going to give, Steve, but I, I, want, I, want, I want you to articulate it as you do for, for listeners. So if we were to compare exercise for some presentation of knee pain or shoulder pain to a detuned ultrasound machine that, you know, there, there is no active ingredient in a detuned ultrasound or arguably is there an active ingredient in a tuned ultrasound? That's another conversation. Then should we compare, should we say that because exercise doesn't outperform this sham placebo procedure, is exercise just a placebo that effectively is trying to enhance all of these contextual psychological type effects? Um, I, I think the resolution to that question for me, and, and again, recognising the, the view that I hold on this isn't universally helpful, for me that illustrates the point that we're still considering placebo as a thing and it's saying it's a thing which is attached to exercise or we're saying it's a thing which defines the control intervention in your hypothetical trial. For me, if we did talk about placebo and said, okay, we've got a trial of exercise versus detuned ultrasound. So what that trial does is measures the comparative effectiveness of those two interventions. Let's just consider that control intervention and intervention why you would design it that way, notwithstanding. That's what we've got. So you, you, you've got the answer to whether um, if people are faced with a choice between exercise and detuned ultrasound, that's the effect that we can expect. As I said, the, the problem comes because we've decided that detuned ultrasound is a thing, a placebo, and, and it's a magical thing that we don't really understand. And so it, it, it suffers from the idea that we have this idea that the placebo is something which has some effect, whereas actually, well, what the way that I would conceptualise it is, whatever that detuned ultrasound involves, and that includes the interaction and, and blah, 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 that has an effect, likely, maybe. I mean, we'd have to look at that versus natural history um, to see whether that has you know, an effect versus natural history. And again, that's another question we can ask. We can ask. Let's say it has, let's say that putting someone, you know, getting them into this clinic, doing whatever you talk to them about, whatever, doing the detuned ultrasound, all that stuff together has an effect, a small effect versus 
what would happen if that person was just left out in the wild. If we want to understand that effect, let's understand that effect. Let's estimate that effect. If we want to think about what the mechanisms of that effect are, let's think about the mechanisms of that effect. But calling a placebo doesn't help us understand that effect, and thereby it doesn't help us understand, doesn't it help us interpret the effect estimate that we get when we use it as a control versus something else. So, again, for me, the problem comes in conceptualising that control intervention as a placebo. Good, good. So, broader question. What is the role of a placebo control trial in in modern physiotherapy treatments, for example, exercise? And this is a hot topic. Mm. There's always debate about exercise is never compared to a placebo because you can't sham exercise. And this is one of the main criticisms leveled at exercise trials. It's always this exercise versus that exercise or this exercise versus natural history or usual care or whatever. So should we just do away with this concept of placebo control for exercise, a complex treatment like exercise, like manual therapy, for example, and just focus more on what are we actually trying to measure here with exercise? Are we trying to measure its effect on strength and then is strength the mechanisms that that leads to a particular outcome? And should we just pursue that line of inquiry? What's your thoughts on this? So my thoughts are, yes, we should get rid of placebo-controlled trials. Because I, and, and the reason I think that is because designating a control intervention as a placebo doesn't tell us what it controls for. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part of a control intervention. It's the difference between whatever you get there and whatever you get in the index intervention. And, and so typically placebo controls are used to understand a mechanism, and that's fine, and we can do that research, right? If you want to understand whether the mechanism by which a strengthening exercise, uh, an exercise program, if you want to understand whether the mechanism is muscle hypertrophy or muscle strength, then you can set up a control intervention to do that. But calling it a placebo doesn't help you. Calling it whatever it is, exercise, you know, without resistance training, whatever you know, it, maybe the, the 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 description of it has takes more than what you can fit in the title of a study, but I don't see that as the reason for calling something a placebo. You know, I, th- I just think this is another way that the concept um, holds us back because it it means that researchers get a little bit of a free pass in defining exactly what they're controlling for. And so we can control for attention, or we can control for therapist time or, or whatever it is and that's all fine and they may be all they may all make sense in the context of whatever your research question is but the study would be far easier to interpret if rather than calling that a placebo somewhere we explained what we're interested in is this particular mechanism and we're interested in controlling for the time that the person had with the therapist because this is our hypothesized mechanism education or anxiety or you know, muscle strength or whatever it is. So we can try to keep everything else still and manipulate that mechanism. And that's the basis for designing the, the control intervention. And this is where calling a placebo and just saying, well, detuned ultrasound is a placebo um, tape somewhere or whatever else is a placebo, that, that doesn't help us. And, and it means the researcher doesn't have to say, Here's how I've controlled for all the things that I think are important to control for in order to explain or to describe the mechanism that I'm interested in. 
Yeah, no, that it's a bit of a cop out, really, when you think about it, isn't it? So, what what what's the value, really? These studies they use detuned ultrasound as a comparator, as a placebo comparator. I'm making uh, quotation marks with my hands here, if you can't see, um, or or a saline injection, which is topical because this disco trial, which has just come out in knee osteoarthritis, and I hosted a debate on the podcast with Christian Barton and Marius Henriksen on this, and it was a fabulous debate. Everybody should go and listen to it. What's the value of using these quote unquote placebo comparators compared to exercise? When there's entirely different, perhaps, effects or, or mechanisms underpinning each of those interventions, or maybe, maybe they're shared mechanisms. Maybe it is, both of them are psychologically mediated and that's okay. But does that comparator give us an answer at all in the real world? Like, are we, are we really going to go out and perform saline injections, open label saline injection, injections of people with knee osteoarthritis, or are we going to do detuned ultrasound so i guess my question is is two or threefold like is there value to those comparators where there might not be any real world application and from like an efficacy perspective they're two very interventions and should we be comparing those two when in an efficacy trial there there should really be like small fundamental difference between the two right so if you're going to do in a pharmacological trial you're going to give an inert sugar pill and you're going to give a blood pressure pill right and then it's quite easy to see um, the effect there a bit harder to do in in physiotherapy trials so do you have any sort of uh, solutions to my rambling thoughts and questions there, Steve? Yes, we have a dozen questions in there. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll try and answer the ones that I remember. Um, so one, I mean, one, I think I get a bit, you know, I have a bit of a reaction to the idea of real world research because if we're not conducting research in the real world, where are we conducting it? I, I kind of get where that comes from, um, but I think it's a, a little bit of a cheap dig at some research that, you may or may not like. Um, so I, I prefer not to conceptualize research as real world research or not real world. But, you know, stuff that's done in a petrol dish is still done in a real world. You know, so I, I think that's, I guess, get that off my chest. So in terms of, yeah, let's say your saline injection example. The first thing I'd say is if you weren't allowed to call, like if placebo, the idea of placebo didn't exist, if you weren't allowed to say it's a placebo control trial, then what that means is the researcher has to say, why does this question make sense? Okay. And so in the context of in the clinic, is a patient ever going to be faced with a choice of should I get whatever your real intervention is or should I get a saline injection? No, it's not relevant. Okay. Um, that I can see. So that's, that's not something that's going to, that's not a question that's that a patient faces. They're not the only that that's not to say that that's the only research that should be done. Okay. If that question is about understanding the mechanism of something for which, you know, and, and, and let's say it's, I imagine, I, I don't know the, the study that you're talking about. Let, let's say it's something else that you inject, which you, um, hypothesize influences some cascade, which goes inside the human knee juices. And, and then has some sort of symptomatic in, um, impact, then absolutely the saline injection might make sense as a control treatment. Again, the, 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 what that does, though, it forces the researcher to say, we designed the control intervention this way because here are all the things we want to control for, getting the patient in, jabbing a needle in them, 
you know, getting them to watch the thing stuff go in and whatever else. What we wanted to check was does it matter if we have the special stuff which is in vial A versus the normal average stuff which is in vial B, whether that makes a difference. And so that question, that may be a completely reasonable and valid question. So I guess what I'd say is the standard for me, the, the standards for whether research should or shouldn't be done isn't necessarily is this the choice that's faced by patients in planning, maybe to understand the mechanism of something because from there we can think about, well, how do we deliver this or how do we optimise it or whatever else. In any case, though, having placebo as part of the conversation or mentioned anywhere is completely unhelpful in my opinion. Yeah, good. I'm going to ask you, though, to, to give me a definitive answer on like from, from where we are now, where we've been researching exercise for 50 years or more in, in musculoskeletal pain. We still don't have any idea really on the causal mechanisms underpinning the small effect of exercise. We're, we're starting to be a little bit more aware that it might be psychologically mediated versus biomechanically mediated, for example. Although I'm not even sure on that. I used to think that a year or two ago, but the treatments that we have aren't set up to really change uh, the mediator of strength because they're all pretty those three times 10 with the therapy and so on so the causal the causal chain breaks down pretty early anyway from what we have it doesn't seem like strength is a solid mediator of many functional outcomes except in one study that i remember in knee osteoarthritis where quad strength did mediate clinical outcomes anyway mostly we do see things like pain self-efficacy kinesiophobia fear avoidance all of these type of things and again there's issues with the with the linguistics of that i understand that so, so that's where we are right now. If we set up a trial that compared exercise to detuned ultrasound for shoulder pain, and we find that there's no difference between exercise and detuned ultrasound, and that trial actually has been done in, in 2010 with, with Kim Burnell, but anyway, we haven't replicated it since for some reason. And, there, and surprise, surprise, there was, no, there was no difference between the two. What information does that actually give us that, that those two treatments are equivalent? Or I think that might have been a non-inferiority uh, trial where, you know, detuned ultrasound wasn't inferior to, to exercise. Like what, just, can you just run us through what that, from a nuts and bolts scientific perspective, that trial gives us? And then how should we sort of critically appraise that and then apply it to our practice? I know not every trial does lend itself to being applied to clinical practice, but most clinicians who read trials will want to apply it to their clinical practice. Well, let's make an assumption that the methods are sufficiently sound that it's producing information that we think is obvious, low enough risk of bias for us to, to have confidence in the, in the estimates. Um, let's also assume that whatever the index intervention is, the exercise intervention was set up in such a way that it's either reflect, at worst reflective of, of practice, at best optimised to do whatever it's supposed to do. So let's, let's start from that departure point. How do we interpret that effect estimate of, which is, let's say, tiny or clinically meaningless? So the really basic interpretation I would argue is in the event that they're the two choices in front of the patient 
the best estimate is there won't be any different in, difference in effect if they choose one or the other. That's the, in some ways, those assumptions holding incontrovertible way to interpret that trial. Um, I think the question is, why do you want to know that? So the next set of assumptions are around the idea that detuned ultrasound is not really any different to natural history. So if you assume the detuned ultrasound plus whatever whatever else it is that, that those patients got, if you assume that doing that has no impact beyond leaving them out in the wild, then you might assume that your index intervention is not worthwhile for a patient. On the other hand, if you assume that the ritual, the nutrient ultrasound, whatever else that those patients got has some impact, I think then it's then then the effect estimate is much harder to interpret. And if if you want to, I sense what you're asking is what are the implications of prescribing that exercise program to this patient. Um, and I think that's that's unclear unless that assumption that whatever is involved in the control intervention has no effect, has no impact over and above natural history. Yeah. So what, what I've been finding in the literature is that basically placebo interventions like saline injections, I'm, not, I'm going to stop saying placebo, yep. Steve, because I know you hate it. <laughs> uh, saline injections for knee osteoarthritis perhaps has the same effect size as exercise. Mm-hmm. So we're comparing two interventions with the same effect size and we're, yep. and we're acting surprised that they're the same when we try and give someone with knee pain these interventions. Like these, it's, it's literally forecast in, in the evidence base to date. So I don't, I don't know why we're acting like this is the craziest thing that's ever happened when these studies actually are published. And I just don't think they're getting us anywhere because we just keep coming back to the same question like, well, okay, well, well, how does exercise actually work? If we figure out how exercise actually works, so we do more causal mechanism research, mediation analysis, proper exercise trials where, where we set out what we're trying to achieve with the exercise, so we offer a hypothesized explanation as to how exercise works, then we measure the bloody outcomes which we think it might work by and find out whether it does rather than just doing these weird comparative trials where this intervention riddled with clinical ceremony is equal to exercise, which is riddled with clinical clinical ceremony, but plus maybe some strength and motor control and physiological effect, blah, 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 blah. I just yeah. don't think it's getting us anywhere, which is kind of what I'm ranting about. Do you think it's worth, am I on the money here? Am I far off? Where am I? Well, I think this is just about defining the research questions better. And, and and so there maybe there's an issue here in a, a view that a placebo intervention is analogous to people getting nothing. And again, it's um, this is where it's unhelpful to think of a placebo intervention. Mm. And, and and we'd be better off if that's our if the research question is is getting this better than nothing. Set it up that way. If the research question is something mechanistic that you're talking about. Well, let's design a control intervention to target that that intervention, or let's and or let's do um, mediation analysis is embedded in 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 a trial with with a different control intervention. So, again, this is just about specifying the question that we're interested in, and then designing 
of control intervention and the outcome measurement to answer that question. Yeah, easy. So this is kind of what you espouse and preach in your uh, evidence and practice papers, Steve, which are about how many now? 25 to 30, I imagine? Yeah, I think we're at 22 or 3. So you're right. We do tend to get a bit philosophical and a bit meta with all this. It all comes back to the question that we're asking and then setting up the trial to answer that question, right? And then being careful with your interpretation and not over-interpreting it. Yeah, and I think that my my argument would be the introducing the idea of placebo is counterproductive when we're trying to specify what it is that we're trying to do. So it's unnecessary. Yeah, I put up on Twitter the other day a, a bit of a thought experiment with how we could do a study trying to sham exercise, and basically the situation is this: let's say, for example, we want to figure out the effect of strengthening the rotator cuff or strengthening the shoulder relative to a sham exercise and that sham exercise is open if anyone's got a good idea but i reckon even just a simple bicep curl could do so if you're trying to strengthen the shoulder then you're not going to get very far just by doing bicep curls you might get a little bit stronger because yes we know that the long head of biceps has an effect on the shoulder but surely it's not going to be equivalent to an abduction exercise or something like that if we're measuring abduction or external rotation strength so, but, but I think the positive or the benefits of a bicep curl instead of like a wrist extension exercise, for example, is that the patient would find it a little bit more valid, right? They still think they're, they're moving their shoulder to a point, even though they might not be, but that like you can still feel when you pump, you, when you get your biceps all pumped up, Steve, you can definitely feel it around your shoulder. I know. So, you can see mine, Jared. I can see, mate. That, shirt's, <laughs> that shirt looks a bit tight. So, so would that be a viable sham? exercise in a clinical trial format do you reckon all right so my view on this um i i don't think we move things on by replacing placebo with sham i I think all the same things all the the same issues apply and and i'd i'd be in favor of of chucking that in the bin as well to be honest to me what you're asking is so you have in mind a very specific um, uh, a, a question of either does a particular type of exercise um, strengthen certain muscles or you have a question of does strengthening particular muscles have some symptomatic impact or both. So if you were to set up a trial and what, what one of the, the assumptions that I hear you make is that one of the things which may impact your outcome, so symptoms, uh, is the credibility of the treatment. So that's what you need to control for with your control intervention. And so that's one thing that it needs to involve. One thing it needs to not involve is strengthening up whatever those specific muscles are. And so, again, I wouldn't call this whatever your abduction, abduction versus sham. I'd call it abduction versus bicep curl and you just need to set out, this is our question. This is our question. If you give someone an exercise which is specifically targeted to strengthen up whatever rotator cuff muscle versus something which they find equally credible and are happy to engage with and, and you know, all the performance bias and, and detection bias and all that sort of stuff is accounted for by your methods, by your, your, your control intervention. You know, you, you go through and say, okay, this might be a problem and credibility is the one 
this might be a problem. So we've given, we've designed it to try and equalize credibility. You can measure credibility as well and make sure that it's been successful. Then you answer your question. Does the strengthening specific exercise of strengthenings, does it um, lead to better symptoms, measure symptoms between two groups? But calling, you know, saying, oh, this is our sham. Is it a credible sham? Just doing that doesn't get to the, the what's important about the sham, which is what it's controlling for. And that depends on your theory. So you've got this theory about muscle getting fatter and, and so on. What does and, you know, which part of your treatment is influencing that? Um, so that's what you want to isolate. The other stuff which might influence the symptoms independent of that is what you want to control for. So then you set up your treatment, your, your control treatment that way. If you can, you measure strength as well directly, and then you can do a mediation analysis also. Then you can see, does treatment A versus treatment B, bicep curl versus abduction effect, is there a difference in effect of treatment? If there is, is it by strength? Um, if there isn't, is it because strength doesn't influence the symptoms or is it because our treatment doesn't change the strength? So that's how I would set up that trial. And I think the result of that trial would help clinicians in day-to-day practice a hell of a lot more than invoking a detuned ultrasound machine. Because I reckon, because a bicep curl, so it has the same contextual features, roughly, roughly speaking, right? In terms of detuned ultrasound, you're going into a hospital, you're going into a clinic, you're receiving this, the physio or whatever saying, this will do this, this, and this, and this. The same thing is going to happen with a bicep curl. Now, the issue with a, with an exercise is that there is going to be a physiological effect, right? Mm-hmm. Some sort of, there could be some anti-inflammatory effect of doing a bicep curl that yes. perhaps you wouldn't get from a detuned ultrasound. Or, so it's hard to control for that systemic effect. But for, for what we're hypothesizing as to be the underpinning mechanism for the effect of a strengthening exercise. It should be that strength mechanism that we're looking for and a bicep curl shouldn't get you there. And then the whole context should be similar between the two groups. So then we're isolating that strength. And I think that will give us an answer so we could stop conjecturing whether strength matters or not. And instead we have actual data on that. Do you think that'd be a, why aren't we doing those studies firstly? Is there ethical issues? Is there, are we, are we going to get to them at some point? Do we, do we know of any in the works? I know there's one being done that's affected, uh, sorry, that has used shoulder strengthening versus just active range of motion and passive range of motion exercise. And it shows that shoulder strengthening has a larger effect between the two. But then there's the argument that active range is still kind of loading up the muscle. So anyway, do you know why we're not doing more of these studies? Do you think there are waste of resources? I don't know the answer to your question. And, and, you know, coming back to your hypothesized trial and, you know, whether that's useful to, to a clinician, what that doesn't necessarily tell a clinician is what's the best way to strengthen up that rate in the event that that's, that is a mechanism which has some important effect. That doesn't necessarily tell you what the best way of doing that is. So, Again, this just comes back to what, what the question is and, and why do some people do one, one trial over another? Because that's the question that, well, that's what they can do or they have, are interested in or that's what they've, you know, reflects what their thinking is at or whatever else. I don't know the answer to why particular trials have been done or not been done. But again, the trial you're talking about is, is looking at a very specific mechanism and, that's only one part of 
the treatment. And so, so there may be a whole heap of other, you know, there, there may, you know, whatever else, how you interact with the, with the patient and whatever else may be important too. And it may be more or less important than how fat those muscles get. So there it's, from my point of view, they're all reasonable questions also as are questions like what if we give them this protocol versus nothing perhaps or some other treatment you know with some viable options that people have they're all reasonable questions too so i I do think there's place for lots of different types of studies but they all depend on specifying the question and they all depend on the whatever the control intervention is and one of the index intervention for that matter being designed in such a way that they really get at the question. Yeah, 100%. The reason why I'm sort of banging a dead horse here is that, I mean, exercise. 100% of clinicians give exercise to somebody with shoulder pain. Most of the time, 99% of the time, they give exercise because they think it's going to affect some biomechanical variable, mm-hmm. strength, motor control, scapular dyskinesis, upper trap, bloody tonicity, anything, right? I know that from research that I've done and published and same with same with clinical research is 95% of the time the explanation for exercise for shoulder pain is its biomechanical effect. But we're not testing that biomechanical effect or we can't hypothesize and say that if you do these trials, people aren't really getting stronger, but their pain and function is improving substantially. So we can conjecture that getting stronger isn't really a mechanism there. We've got to do mediation analysis research on that. So if we do do that study that I've messily articulated, then at least we we know that maybe doing a non-specific, I know you hate that, Steve, we're just doing a random bicep curl exercise, which shouldn't be equivalent to a shoulder strengthening exercise in getting stronger in your shoulder. And if that doesn't seem to be different or strength isn't a mediating factor of clinical outcomes, then we take away, you don't need to get strong in on average for somebody to get better if they have a shoulder pain issue. And then we do the same thing with scapular dyskinesis. And so we're removing, we're sort of getting rid of all the fat here. And so we're sort of left with, well, we don't even need to do exercise or we don't need to do strengthening exercise or the exercise might not matter. It might be something else. So that's why I think it's a really important question. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing the same trials and and, and we're not going to get anywhere. Sounds like you better start writing grant applications, Jared. Yeah, oh, postdoc, we'll get onto it. Um, but am I am I making sense there? Because I feel like I'm just I'm banging my head against a brick wall when I'm when I'm reading things on social media. Yeah, look, I mean, it, I think that, that the way to interact with whatever it is that you're coming up against or want to highlight or whatever else is is to focus on what question this is answering and whether or not that's an interesting question for you. And so, in order to to understand what that question is. You do really need what the hypothesis is and a really good description of the methods, particularly the, the two intervention or the, the comparison between the interventions. So, look, as I said, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm in a place to say what sort of questions should be answered other than to say that they should be specific questions and specified and, and, and well articulated. So... You know, and because I think there are lots of different types of questions which are, are of value. I, I don't know the field that you're in well enough to have a view on what sort of intervention should be, what sort of questions should be tested. I guess, yeah, and you're well placed to answer this question, which is, I mean, you kind of you answered it before, 
we don't need to be using these placebo controls of saline injections and, and detuned ultrasound. We can, with the with the right question in mind and with the right method to answer the question, we can use other exercise methods or, or programs that are controlling for the right thing, right? Which might be credibility and it might be so on and so forth, but it's sort of missing that thing which you hypothesize the treatment to work by. That would yep. still be a valid trial to run. They're the fundamentals of a valid yeah. because then you have methods that match the question. That That's all this is about. Saline injection placebo could... That, that might, well, Ceylon injection control might be a really good way to understand a particular question. So it, that I, I wouldn't say that that of itself is not a good control because it might be a good control for, I don't know, a PRP injection or something. So my view here is just that we don't need, placebo doesn't need to enter our conversation um, and, it, and it doesn't help us. And so we can just then judge the control intervention on its merits and, and, and its merits refer to how well it corresponds with the research question. Yeah, that's good. So closing, in closing, I do have heaps more questions, Steve, but we'll push on. The placebo effect, powerless, powerful, or redundant, where you are? Bankrupt. <laughs> Bankrupt. Bankrupt. Morally void. <laughs> I'm morally just, I just done. It's, it's, it's cooked. I think it yeah. served its purpose. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's, it's like yeah I just don't think it's helpful. I, I, I don't think it it serves us anymore. And in fact, it's probably starting to cross over into the not serving from not serving us into being a hindrance barrier yeah and so i think it's from these recent methods perspective it's a barrier mm. from a clinical perspective i think it, it's problematic as well so i just don't think it's I, I i think if we can just leave it behind in history move forward we're better off yeah and we won't be affected by that it will arguably be better off good i just quick quickly mate sorry the ethical dilemma of placebos there's some people on social media who want to know about the ethics of this do you let's say sham sham I think it's the same thing, by the way. How, how, how do we say it? Yeah. <laughs> well, what about with with surgery? Some people are a bit worried about doing fake surgeries, sham surgeries, and yeah. then trying to the ethics of that. Do you have any any insights onto that, or is it is it just is it okay? Because historically, we, we, there's no difference between some surgeries and and a placebo surgery, so it's okay ethically. What are your thoughts? Are you talking about in the context of a research study or in the context of clinical practice? Or both, if you've got right, because I think different. I think the answers are different. So so I think super problematic in clinical practice to to be delivering something that you have a view does not have the effect that the person thinks it has. All so I, I think and 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 I think that's that applies not just to surgery. I mean, surgery is arguably a, a, it's it's a little bit easier to understand the risks of that because they're probably more likely and and perhaps more severe. So but ultimately I think it's it's really problematic to be delivering something to patients that you think doesn't work by the mechanism by which everyone thinks it does. Um, and when I say everyone, the patient particularly. In the context of a, a clinical trial, again, I think this is where we would benefit from not calling these things placebo and saying, I think we need because the fundamental issue for a trial, in my 
opinion here, the fundamental ethical issue here is, does a person have the capacity to agree to what they are getting? And so I think we need to be clear to a person, you might get this or you might get that, and then a person can decide whether they're willing to take that on. And again, saying you might get whatever surgery or you might get a placebo, that doesn't help a person make that decision. But saying to them, is all the procedures that you will undergo or here's all the procedures you will undergo, you'll get one of these two things, that enables a person to make a decision. Again, it's just another place where, so the placebo you know, surgery trials, they're, they're designed to capture a very specific mechanism of effect and, and they can be perfectly valid questions. But in my opinion, they can be good reasons for trying to answer those questions. So that I don't have a problem in principle with the way those are designed. Again, it's just for me though, it's just another example of the fact that bringing placebo into the conversation doesn't help us. Doesn't help us solve that ethical issue. It doesn't describe in detail what it is the researchers are trying to 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 understand. Yeah, I just think they use it because it's like a jarring term, right? Placebo surgery versus real surgery, and there's there's no. Oh, look, there's a whole historical overlay, right? It, it, yeah. it, 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 it is, my reservations aside, uh, it's mm. a, an accepted way of, of, of doing business in, yeah. in the research world. So, I mean, uh, that is what it is. That's fine. It's just a, uh, what a different view. But, yeah, so ethically problematic in clinical practice, okay, as long as there's informed consent in the research world. Yeah, again, it, but it's just another way, place where it doesn't help us calling something up and say that. Another place where it's redundant or bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. That's good, mate. That's the headline of the chat. Steve, uh, quickly, where can people find you, mate? Are you on socials? Are you uh email man? Where can if people have burning questions and they want to get all your papers for free? Yes. Uh, I'm always happy for that. Always yeah. happy to send papers out. Um, you can email me stephen.camper at sydney.edu.au. Um also on Twitter uh, at stevecamper one. All lowercase. Beautiful. Steve, thanks so much, mate. It's been um it's really helpful. And I, I highly encourage, and I'm gonna to link to a bunch of your work here, Steve, that everyone goes out and reads it. Your editorial and BJSM decade was a real game changer for me. It really, in more succinct and coherent terms, outlines everything we've just sort of chatted about today. And you did it in a brevity of words. I don't know, these editorials, I don't know how stressed you get when you write them because you've got to, you know, adhere to 1500 words, but you did a really good job. So well done. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Jared. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shoulder Physio Podcast with Professor Steve Camper. If you want more information about today's episode, check out our show notes at www.shoulderphysio.com. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to follow and subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave a rating or review. It really helps the show reach more people. Thanks for listening. I'll chat to you soon. The Shoulder Physio Podcast would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded from the lands of the Tiribalang people. I also acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which each of you are living, learning, and working from every day. I pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia.